Blog Talk Radio. This is all about it's wine. All about the wine. talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009. Featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Basically, what we're trying to do on the program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had some, some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Post your questions and comments during the live show on our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwinebtr. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwinebtr. And now, All About Wine is on. Here's Thank you, Buster. Yeah. Thank you. No rain today. Yeah. We supposed they were predicting rain all over the day, and they, they're getting all messed up. These rain patterns are fooling all the weathermen in the area. They don't know when it's going to rain and when it's not, and all that. And it just it's crazy. So. Uh, mm. Most people are happy, though, because they're not getting rained on tonight. But uh, welcome to All About Wine. We have to tell you about what's going on here a little bit. We had an interview with Adam from Belfour Winery in England. I had a problem. It, what we did is we scheduled him for Sunday morning because... Well, there's a five-hour difference between here and him, and so he's five hours ahead of us. And because of the difference of time, we found Sunday morning was really the best to do it. So at 8 o'clock Sunday morning, 1 o'clock his time, Mike got on, and I tried to join, but a transformer went out down the street from me, of all times. Okay, Sunday morning, you figure it's probably pretty safe. Well, it wasn't here. I was going to go on the radio program, and they were fixing the transformer, and I had no electricity for about three hours. And it hit me on Sunday morning, which I can't blame the phone company, our phone. I can't blame the electric company because that's a pretty safe time, you would think. But it kept me off from talking to him. So Mike did. And he got on and talked to Adam. And actually, he did, I, I think, a good job. I listened to the show afterwards, and he did a, a really a, a excellent job talking to him. But after a 20-minute phone call with Adam, he disappeared. Yeah. And I mean disappeared. <laughs> he just, he was talking, and there was no Adam. And, you know, not unlike me on some previous programs where I disappeared, but he was right in the middle of a sentence, and he disappeared. And Mike said, are you there? Hello, Adam. And he figured he'd call back. Well, he never did. Uh, so we have a 20-minute program of Adam from last Sunday morning. And uh, we're going to interview him again. So I don't want to particularly throw that on and then interview him again. So we're going to reschedule him and, and get another interview. But uh, Mike was stuck in the precarious situation of trying to wait for Adam to call back in and not knowing if he would and hoping he would and waiting for it. And after another 20 minutes of Mike filling in, which is an admirable job of doing so, he signed off. And so we have ourselves a, a short Sunday morning program about a 20 minute program of Adam from Belfort Winery that we're probably maybe someday we'll throw it up but it's not going to happen today and we're going to talk to Adam again and see when we can get him on and see if we can't get a full program with him and when we do that then that's when we'll throw it up but and we'll probably end up asking the same questions and everything anyway so you know, we'll have a 20-minute segment of Adam that we can always, <laughs> yeah, just use as a 20-minute fill-in someday if we want to. But that was going to be the program today. 
And uh, like I say, Mike did an excellent job at covering it while I was scrambling trying to figure out why my electronics was out. Actually, I went outside to get the morning paper. Yes, I still do that. Uh, only It's only two times a week. But I went out to get the morning paper, and there was a jogger. And I said, you got electricity? And he goes, oh, he said, they're working on a transformer down around the street there. So, so that's how I found yeah. out. But. Hmm. We, uh, here we are. Here we are. Uh, we were going to be replaying a pre-recorded program for you, but that's not going to happen. And so we've got us. We do have a guest next week, though. Uh, we will be speaking with Bradley uh, on uh, the twelfth. Yeah, that's next week. We were speaking to Bradley on the twelfth. Let me see if I can find something more stuff on Bradley here, so I can tell you. Uh, a little bit about what he is. He's a, well, come on. Uh, okay, Stephen Lane, who is an author, will be with us and been talking about, know, we've got a few guests in the works right now, but we just need to Confirm. Where's Bradley on here? I don't know, but he is a uh, uh, fifty years. Uh, well, that's Paul. Let's see, uh, Sebastian. I haven't heard from them yet. Why don't these people write back? I write all these people, and they write back, and they say, "Well, we'll get back to you. Thank you. We'll get back to you." And then I don't hear from them again. And here we go, Bradley. Okay, Bradley uh, DeWet. Bradley DeWet is a tasting club founder and CEO of Tasting Club. So it says his original letter uh, was actually to Mike. I don't know why, but and you know he contacted Mike. And uh, he uh, is, uh, uh, he says, one of the interesting reports that comes out each year is, Sil- is Silicon Valley Bank's direct-to-consumer wine survey report. And he'll be talking about that and some other stuff here. So I'll let him talk to you next week. But he's our guest next week, Bradley and D- Duet. And uh, he's Tasting Club co-founder and CEO. So it should be interesting. It should be a fun conversation. He's uh, been doing tasting clubs and virtual tastings and all sorts of good stuff. So tune in next week. We do have a guest for sure, for sure. And hopefully we'll have guests May and June, too. We've got enough to fill us out the rest of this month and on into next month but you got to stay tuned to find out because it's going to be as much of a mystery to me as it is to you well we'll see what's going on uh anything interesting mike that you want to interject here no everything's good um all right nothing new (laughs) yeah nothing new It, it really isn't uh we're going into the the dull days, the dog days of spring. You know, it's not summer yet, but it's you know getting into the dog days of spring. Uh, oh, I know. Where's my book? I'll tell you what's coming up here and what's happening. Ah, there it is. Okay, pull out my my calendar for the upcoming week. Let's see. This is. March, April, May. Here we go. Uh, Today is May the 5th, which is Cinco de Mayo. All right. Uh, Cinco de Mayo, if uh, you're out there. Actually, Cinco de Mayo is more of an American celebration than it's a Mexican celebration. The Mexicans go, yay, Cinco de Mayo, and then they go on with what they're doing. In America here, we go crazy on it. We eat tacos and drink margaritas and and go nuts and all that. So uh, today is Cinco de Mayo. 
And uh, then uh, tomorrow is, I think, tomorrow is Sauvignon Blanc Day. Uh, the first Friday in May is Sauvignon Blanc Day. So I have a a question mark by this note here. Well, I'm getting a lot of dings for some reason coming in on my phone. Um, Sauvignon Blanc Day is tomorrow. Like I was saying, a lot of my research showed that it was the first Friday in May, but then some of them showed that it was the 7th of May, which, uh, you know, I don't know. But we'll go with first Friday in May. And so that is tomorrow, Sauvignon Blanc today. And then uh, Mother's Day coming up on Sunday. So get mom some wine. There's lots of it out there. I'm sure she will enjoy and all that. So uh, pick up some wine for mom. And then let's see what else is interesting. Tuesday, National Shrimp Day. Fresh, frozen, however you want to do it, but it's National Shrimp Day. And try yourself some Gewurztraminer or something like that with it. That's always a fun fun wine. Or sparkling wine with, uh, with uh, shrimp is, is always very good. And then next Thursday, I'll give you a heads up on that since it's a full day, International Nurses Day. And if anyone needs a pat on the back, then that's nurses. So next Thursday is International Nurses Day. And Tuesday is Moscato Day. So um, for those of you who like a little bit sweeter wine, Moscato Day, official National Moscato Day is Tuesday. So we got Sauvignon Blanc Day tomorrow and Moscato Day Tuesday, Mother's Day Sunday, National Shrimp Day Tuesday, Nurses Day Thursday. Got a lot of stuff, a lot of reasons to go out and drink wine this next week. So do it, enjoy, and uh, always drink responsibly. But that's coming up this next week. Okay, let me put that away back in the proper spot so I won't forget it. And let me see what we're going to talk about tonight. We got a few subjects. I, I okay, we got a few things to talk about tonight, and just odds and ends because I was sort of thinking that we were going to have uh, the show booked, but. I didn't do a whole lot of background, but I do have a lot of little subjects I can pass on to you. Of uh, here's out of what's that? Uh, we had uh, uh, Cap Caplowitz is in uh, chat right now on Facebook. He just said, "Is this live right now?" It's like, uh, mm-hmm. yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it <laughs> is. Cap, it is live. Yeah, yeah. that might be one it's of live. his things here. The Cap is is the. Uh, uh, he was a guest, a previous guest, and uh, Cigar Man. He does a cigar blog and, and quite knowledgeable on cigars. And he uh, also, I have joined him and five other people, five other guys. We do a, a Wednesday night uh, gab fest, if you will. Uh, we call each other and discuss the subjects and uh, of little, if no, importance in the world. And just it's an enjoyable phone call we look forward to every week. But uh, uh, Cap is, in fact, one of our quotes we use for Cap is uh, on our 13th anniversary. Uh, Mike dug it up, which I think was a great quote, where he said he'd like to find himself in a secluded spot with a good cigar and a glass of wine. And if anybody comes around, just say, leave me alone. I don't want any people. And just... uh, uh, enjoy life by himself, and I—that's uh, one of the uh, one of the better quotes, I think. But um, yeah, Cap is uh, has his own, uh, uh, well, actually, his own uh, cigar blog, and as do just about every one of the guys that I'm in the group with. They all have cigar blogs, but uh, he's he's in the middle of writing some sort of a book too. Uh, I, I'm not going to disclose any more than that because I'm not sure exactly what it is. But he's he's writing a book and deciding whether he should have it printed or do an online ebook and all that. So it's been an ongoing 
discussion. So uh, I don't know. Do people, any of you out there, have a preference? If you do feel strongly about it, let me know, and I'll pass it on to him. So, uh, uh, yeah, thanks for listening, Cap. I do appreciate it. The, uh, let's see, I was going to read this to you in... I decided not to. It's, you know, it says, what type of wine persona are you? And when I was going through that, that what type of wine persona reminds me of some of those things on the Internet. It says, you know, what type of gangster are you or what type of car are you or, you know, stuff. Like, I'm not going to, you know, the more I look at that, the more I realize that this is just one of those type of you know, silly quiz type things and all that. So I'm not gonna not gonna spend my time on that. Castle Ridge Winery uh is uh Iowa. I haven't talked about them in a while, but they are still going strong. Uh they have a coconut lime fish tacos that they're serving up uh, actually today and for the rest of the week. Uh celebrate Cinco de Mayo. Their wine of the week a week is a sweet roxy red uh Semi-sweet, fruity red wine uh, with hints of cherry and citrus. They also still do their wood-fired oven pizza uh, winery. They are doing tastings by reservation only, and as the, the space allows. So you do need to call first. Uh, they do serve food with their tastings. It's uh, well here it says. A seated tasting includes your choice of one of five tasting flights. So you have five different sets of uh, wines to choose from, plus freshly baked bread, Frisian Farms Young Gouda, and depending on the flight, you get uh, Tassel Ridge dipping oil or warm roasted salted cashew nuts. So uh, a uh, nice little food to go along with it and the taste the tastings are 15 to 25 depending on what particular wines that you are trying so you need to call first need to wear a mask in there you do take your mask off for the tastings but uh tassel ridge is located as i've said many times before southeast iowa uh south of des moines east of des moines uh north of uh, oskaloosa and just south of southeast of Pella, Iowa. And a lot of you probably heard of Pella because Pella is where they make the windows, Pella windows. So uh, you can get a hold of them at Tassel Ridge. I always, always do this. I always want to say the wrong web address for Tassel Ridge. Uh, yeah, just tasselridge.com, not tasselridge winery, but tasselridge.com. And let's see, there was a, another winery that I was going to speak of here. Oh, Henry River. Uh, let me see, where are you, Henry River? Uh, oh, there you are. Henry River, uh, they are located in, where are they located? They are located in uh, Newberry, South Carolina, and they are having a Mother's Day celebration uh, this week, uh, and let's see, that's going to be on Sunday? Yeah, Sunday. Uh, Mom can receive $2 off or uh favorite bottle of wine and uh, you, you can get a photo of you and your mom and uh, at the winery. Also coming up, uh, they're going to be celebrating in the military during the month of May. Uh, active duty and veterans, servicemen and women uh, that you enjoy your first glass of wine at the winery for only a dollar and a penny. Huh, cool. They do karaoke periodically there, and uh, uh, there's doing uh, uh, unpacked the porch wine, music, fun, and food coming up on May 15th, which is a week from Saturday. And, uh, no, that's Sunday, right, a week from Sunday. 
And uh, there's always tastings and stuff going on there. They are located in uh, Newberry, South Carolina, uh, 803-276-2855 is their number. If you're around there, if you're going to be around there, if you're going to be anywhere close, check them out. Uh, they are pretty pretty cool place there, actually. And then Walsh Vineyards. We haven't talked about these wineries in a while because we've been doing other stuff. They are located in Mannheim, Pennsylvania. And well, they got Mother's Day things coming up too. Uh, a Mother's Day special. They have also the monthly special, sixteen dollars per bottle on their 2020 Stegel Rosé. And you can get that. Actually, you can have it shipped to you. They said the perfect Mother's Day gift pairs well with shellfish, uh, fish, uh, chicken, turkey, cheese. So. You can get a hold of them at uh, waltzvineyards.com, W-A-L-T-Z, waltzvineyards.com. And I thought I saw another one. Well, that was Entry River there again. And uh, I think that might be it. Yeah. I'm sure most of your local wineries are celebrating Mother's Day, though, because a Wineries do that. They uh, uh, they're a good place for Mother's Day events. They have all sorts of specials, and they have special things for mom. And if nothing else, you go there, and the bottom will give you just a free tasting for mom and things like that. So, if you are so inclined, do a road trip to your favorite winery. Call them first, though, to be sure that they are open. That they are still doing tastings. Uh, we're, we're still on the tail end of the COVID, and because we're on the tail end of the COVID, you got to be sure that they're going to be there because you could end up showing up and they're saying, oh, appointments only, or, you know, you can't come in, you're only allowed so many people or something, any number of things. So be sure you call them and find out they're open and everything's going cool and all that. So, all right, let's see. Uh, what have we got to talk about here? I've got different news. I've got different things I highlighted. And let me find my highlighted stuff here and tell you about them. Uh, NFTs and the future of alcoholic beverage industry. Interesting. And if, oh, my engineer is bringing me in a, a, a wine, an evening wine. What do we... What we got here? Okay, this is translations. It's called uh, the Merlot. Oh, this is going to be fun. Jumilla, uh, J U M I L L A. Jumilla. Uh, I said that because it is a product of Spain, so the J is probably pronounced as an A. J-U-M-I-L-L-A, Jumilla. Uh, let's see, it says, translation is Jumilla uh, from the Dimension de Origin Portugal. Ah, boy, I destroyed that for you. It says the expression of great wine transcends language barriers. Trans translations wines clearly express the flavors and aromas your senses will fully embrace. Our Merlot boasts aromas of red berries and vanilla. Its delicious, ripe flavors include raspberry and plum. Velvety, smooth, and easy to drink, it pairs with a wide variety of red meats and rich cheeses. That's followed by the J. Garcia Carrion, uh, in Spain, and it gives address and stuff, which I will destroy. I'm not going to do that for you. Uh, imported out of Miami, Florida, 12.5% alcohol by volume. And uh, I wonder what that stamp is. There's a 
date and time stamp on it. That's probably a bottling date and time stamp. They were talking about doing that in the States there, and they never have. It looks like they may have started that in Spain because there's a, a date and time stamp on the back of the bottle. So, all right. We, uh, let's see what we got. Mm, not getting much aroma yet, but she might have just opened it, though, so that could make a difference. Oh, there's coming out a little bit. Did it say plum? Yeah, it did say plum. I am picking up the plum already. Huh. Not real strong, but I am picking up the plum. Some red berry. Oh, it is light. Lighter than I expected it to be. Huh. It is light. Wow. Got some nice fruity aromas and or nice fruity flavors to it. For those of you into the legs, it's got some very nice legs, you know. Thick, slow moving legs on it. It is actually for Merlot, it's a little little thin. I I I expected it to be a little bit more body. It didn't have the the body I was hoping for. Uh, but it is nice. It's got some nice fruitiness to it, nice red berries to it. And she just came in and took my bottle away. So, uh, but nice, nice Merlot trans, translation. So, if you don't see that, it's a Spanish wine. NFTs and the future of the alcohol industry. I, I might have mentioned something about this a while back. I've been looking a lot at NFT and, and cryptocurrency and stuff like that. And it's, I don't know. It would, uh, it says, uh, NFTs vary so much. I Hard for me to think that the wine industry is going to embrace this with open arms uh it would uh, it, it varies nfts which is uh non fundable uh tokens is uh, it, it jumps up and down costs and price and all that and so to say okay i'm gonna sell this bottle for uh so much it's hard to I think it's hard to do that because it's going to the price is going to vary so much. NFTs are used a lot in things like art, online art, and areas along that line. But to me, uh, I don't know if wine will fit well with NFTs or not. I may be wrong. In fact, it's more than one time I have been wrong about this stuff. But I think it's still... Uh, probably a few years away before the whole metaverse captures the wine industry or even the alcohol industry. It's, I don't think it's there yet. And I say a few years and as fast as things happen, probably a few months before all that starts to go on. So, but, uh, uh, cryptocurrency and the alcohol industry, I personally don't see them working together yet. It, uh, it may, and it, it may may work out, and we may see a big boost in it. But you know, who knows? I don't know. Uh, oh, uh, let's see. Ukraine is a small but mighty market for wine. Uh, there is wineries in the south part of the state. Uh, there's a lot of wineries in the south part of, uh, of the country. I say state, south part of the country. And the uh, regions, the Ukraine wine regions, consist of four four regions, four areas. Uh, and they're all in the south. Uh, the, oh, geez. And, and, you know, I can't pronounce Ukraine names, but so I will destroy them for you. Uh, Mykolovia, uh, Kyrgyzstan, Dnipropetrovsk uh, and Odessa. Yeah, I got that one right. Uh, Odessa actually comprises about 50% of the total area of wines. 
and they're all influenced by the Black Sea, which offers uh, a natu natural natural uh, coolness and all that coming off the sea, just like the Pacific does in Napa. The uh, they also have perfect conditions for their sweet and fortified productions that they do there. Uh, the uh, uh, oh, geez, Ukraine, Ukraine vineyard plantings have fluctuated over the decades, but uh, uh, right in 1913 they had 133,000 acres planted. But then World War One and Phylloxera smacked them hard and it knocked that down to a little over 3,000 just six years later. But by the 40s, they jumped back up to 254,500 acres. But then after World War II, that dropped again. And then when Crimea ceded to Ukraine in 1954, there was estimated 988,500 acres uh, under vine and then uh, since uh, it has been the same since the former Russian president Mikhail Gorbachev was very anti-drinking and he drove the acreage down to only 533,000 so it's, it's varied a lot over the years it has jumped up and down because of political unrest in that part of the world. Right now, they are still in production. They, they have not been affected by the Russian invasion. And I, I don't know if they will or not. I mean, you know, Putin is a wine drinker. Uh, he's been noted to be a wine drinker. And I can't see him telling his forces to go in there and destroy vineyards just for the sake of destroying vineyards. I I hope that doesn't happen. I certainly do, but uh, I don't think it will, actually. Um, varieties in the uh, Ukraine include black grapes called Bestardo Magrashki, Cabot Kara, Kefisia, and Odessa Black. Yeah, there you go. And whites are Kelty Kurik. Uh, Cooker Blay, Seri Pandas, and oh my gosh, Sukaholi Mansky, which is a cross between Chardonnay and Plava. <laughs> yeah, you see those on the bottle, and I guess we can never buy those when this is not used. The white Georgian grape, uh, uh, Raxacitili, once comprised 40% of all the plantings, but today. Uh, plantings also include Algote, Cabernet Sauvignon, Chardonnay, Gewurztraminer, Merlot, Muscat, Pinot Noir, Riesling, and Separavi. So, yeah, a bunch of different grapes. They do make ports, Madeira, Sherry, and Tokay. Some very sweet wines are coming out of there. They also have sparkling wines. Champagne was introduced uh, many years ago uh, at the 1900 World's Fair and became very popular. And so they have their market of wines. The Wine to Ukraine website has not been updated uh, in quite some time, but the country reports now that there's 50 winemakers cultivating 180 grape varieties. As of 2019, uh, the, the data shows, and at that time, 364,600 tons of grapes uh, were being processed and used. Again, this is back in 19, or 2019. Really. And uh, the fortified wines totaled $13 million in 2020, but that's down from $63 million in 2010 and a high of $81 million in 2013. So uh, it is being affected by the pandemic and now by uh, the, the invasion. So they're hard to pinpoint anything that's really of any note there in that region because of 
the uh, the invasion, Russian invasion. Um, they have done a lot of research, though, in, in the Ukraine. They've been noted for their vineyard and uh, winery research. Uh, the V.E. Terrigov Institute of Viticulture and Winemaking of Ukraine is well known. It's uh, institute has more than 700 varieties under study and has created more than 130 varieties of table and gra- wine grape vines. Uh, 112 clones of 52 varieties of grapes, and it has more than 15,000 seedlings in its hybrid program. So they're really big time in studying this stuff. Uh, Their first school of winemaking was founded in 1829 uh, by Prince Mikhail Voronsov, and he uh, created the school to uh, uh, do the study of wine and winemaking. And he's crossed a lot of different grapes to create new types. And the Institute has cultivated the Macarash Ruby variety, which is a cross between a Cabernet Sauvignon and a Saparavi. And it has been one of the premium wines of Ukraine since then. So a lot of history in Ukrainian wines and winemaking and all that, but they have been affected seriously by the wars and by the, well, uh, the current war, if you will, uh, as affecting them, and by COVID and other stuff that's happened to them over the years. But they're hanging in there and they're doing a good job on it. It's uh, south the southeastern part of the country down by the water is really where most of the vineyards are. So, and uh, Russian, uh, speaking of the war, Russian top sommeliers signed an anti-war petition. All of them got together and signed a petition, an action, open letter to Putin that says, well, here, uh, we, Russian sommeliers, wine trade, and restaurant industry workers strongly oppose the military actions carried out by the Russian armed forces on the territory of Ukraine. And uh, it goes on, we are the people who make and sell wine from different countries. We speak many languages and we consider ourselves Ukrainians and Europeans as our friends and brothers who bring the wine culture around the world. There is not a single person among us who would benefit from bloodshed. We love and promote Russian wine worldwide. We want Russian, uh, wine to unite the people of the world, and not, we don't want Russian wines to be associated with war. We cannot remain aloof from the pain that is growing by the minute. We demand the withdrawal of Russian troops from Ukraine and an end to the senseless bloodshed and the return of Russia to the negotiating table. This letter is open for signature by all Russian wine professionals. Hashtag no war. And it has a list of people who signed it here. And there's a lot of people and a lot of businesses uh, and a lot of sommeliers and bloggers and all sorts of stuff. Uh, Redell Glass out of Moscow, which, uh, you know, big glass company and all sorts of stuff here. Big names in the wine industry have signed this, uh, the Russian wine industry. So they are... Uh, they put their two cents worth in. Let's hope it has a little bit of impact. Like I say, Putin is a drinker. I've I've heard this before on more than one occasion. He's a wine drinker. So maybe that might might help get him back to the to the negotiating table. We'll see. Okay, let's see. Next thing here on the agenda. Texas wineries and grape growers face dubious future in Texas. Hmm. Uh, 
I, I saw this one here. I uh, wanted to touch base on it quickly. The impact of biodynamic farming principles on climate change and wildfires. It's interesting in the fact that it says because of the way biodynamic is set up, it will help control wildfires. I, I, I'm not going to. I'm going to read the article and I'll get back to you on this. How's that? I, it's uh, it's only about five pages long. So out, of a, out of a magazine I get out of Grapevine, and so I'll just pick up my magazine and read this, and I'll report back to you next week on it instead of going through it now. I'll condense it. It's always better if it's condensed instead of you know going through and picking out the best stuff and trying to tell you right then. The French seize Russian-owned wineries. They, um, there are a bunch of Russian-owned wineries in France, and the French have seized them because of the Crimea War, obviously, or Crimea, the Ukrainian War. And so uh, that's happening. Uh, and let's see. Uh, oh, here's what well, we're talking about Russian wine. Here's an article that says, Will the Russian wine market collapse? Um, since there's so many sanctions against Russia right now, will it make a difference in what's going on? It says Russia imported 3.5 million hectoliters of wine in 2020. It says sanctions of the EU and the U.S. as well as possible countermeasures by Russia may restrict trade and that not only for luxury goods. The ruble ceased to be a convertible currency. Many wines are becoming unaffordable for the Russian middle class. While prices are rising rapidly, distributors are looking for domestically produced alternatives or imports from countries such as Georgia, Armenia, and Turkey. So, uh, the, uh, the conflict is causing uh, Russian wines to un Western wine drinkers. Uh, to be affected, seriously affected by all this. Uh, in 2020, Russia vine acreage was 96,000 hectares, which is about, I don't know the conversion, about 100,000 acres. Uh, production was 4.4 million uh, hectoliters. Uh, consumption, 10.3 million hectoliters. Import volume, 3.5 million hectares and import value 948 million euro. So that was in 2020 in, in Russia. Uh, the ruble is falling and interest rates are rising. So that is affecting shipping of wine, storing of wine, and selling of wine. Uh, some of the Russian banks are starting to fail and when that happens that affects the whole economy there uh, the, the uh, stocks in Russia suffered the steepest fall ever so uh, plunging 61% back in February and the uh, logistics uh, is just killing them there too uh, the eight sea lines have suspended shipments to Russia, making 95% of container shipments unavailable. And uh, purchasing power and rising wine prices are making it even more difficult for people to buy Russian wines or any wine. It is just being priced out of people's ability to purchase it. Uh, wine is becoming not just expensive, but virtually unaffordable. And it says, even before the crisis, average wine bottle price was about uh, $4.60. Uh, 
on the shelf and dollar uh, fifty-five uh, for smaller types. This is now in just two weeks, the second most popular Argentine brand, which is Cancelar Malbec, has gone in price from three hundred and sixty-nine Russian ruble to six hundred and twenty-nine Russian ruble, which you know, almost double. <clears throat> so it's gone from approximately four dollars and seventy-five cents up to about eight dollars. Uh, on the other end of the scale, the Rodeo Brute Collection went from thousand seven hundred ninety Russian rubles to twelve thousand two hundred. Uh, a bottle of champagne now costs just slightly less than a minimum monthly wage. Uh, the minimum monthly wage is, uh, I think, fourteen thousand Russian ruble, and a bottle of champagne costs thirteen thousand eight hundred nine. 890 Russian ruble. So it's not a market anymore. It looks like it's just losing losing its wine market. Uh, it says that <laughs> Vladimir Putin has yet to defeat Ukraine, but he has already succeeded in defeating the Russian economy. So we still got a ways to go. Still got going to see what's going to happen. We are not done yet. The uh, Obviously, saga continues, and we'll see what happens. But uh, it's starting to affect the people of Ukraine and the prices and, and wine and stuff. It's just out of their, out of their reach. So, uh, you know, that's too bad for the people. I, I, you know, I really do. I think that's just that's too bad for the people of Russia. Uh, they really have little to say or little to do about all this, and they're the ones that's really suffering more than anything. Back at the 1st of April, there was a late frost. I never did talk about this. I, I missed it. But temperature swings jumped all over the place, uh, 1st of April, uh, in France. They started out with... Uh, uh, March was warmed up and was giving some really nice warm temperatures, and there was bud break all over the place, and temperatures rose to about 68 degrees Fahrenheit, and it was starting to look good. But then a major freeze came through, a late frost following the winter warm spell, which is the worst thing that can happen in, in, to plants. I mean, I say vineyards because... That's what we are all about, wines. But this is the worst thing that can happen to plants because they start getting bud break on everything and then the frost comes in. Well, what happened was in the uh, Chablis region of France, and yes, that's the that's Chardonnay regions and stuff like that, uh, the temperatures dropped down to 23 degrees Fahrenheit. Burr. That's too cold. If it sustains that temperature for too long of a period of time, it will cause major damage. And just that much alone can knock off your bud break, which could destroy a harvest for the whole year. I mean, it just it's uh, uh, kill all all the early buds. So uh, they did the preventive measures, which the most common preventive measure and stuff like that is spraying the vineyards with water, which keeps the freezes on the vines, which keeps the buds at a consistent 32 degrees, which is better than uh, having it go down any colder. Also, fans are used. They have the great big wind turbos are used, and that keeps the air moving and doesn't let the frost settle down. Also, uh, they lit candles uh, at a cost of 10 euros per candle. They had 600 candles per hectare, which, think about it, that's very expensive to go out there and do that. But if it saves your vineyard and it saves your cherry crop or your apricots or your plums or all those, then you weigh the cost against what you're going to lose in the crops and you 
bite the bullet and do it. So it uh, the uh, all sorts of ways they try to do it. Some of them even unfurled some plastic sheeting to try to shield the the fruit trees and from the frost. But it looked like northwestern Switzerland had the had the brunt of the cold snap back there, and uh, it was really critical. And like I said, is the cherries, apricots, and plums. Uh, last year's frost led the government to say it's probably the greatest agricultural catastrophe at the beginning of the 21st century. And then we get another one this year. And so they are scrambling to try to keep things growing and doing well. Now, this was back at the 1st of, uh, of April. So here we are already in uh, May. So I haven't seen any latest reports of how it turned out and all that. If it destroyed a lot, I am absolutely sure I would have seen reports on it because they'll let you know what's going on in the harvest. It will affect the harvest. Uh, That's the main thing. We'll see that it affects the harvest. But uh, as of right now, I haven't seen anything. But that that happened back, like I say, the 1st of April. Okay. Uh, Let's see. Uh, some of these older things here talking about bud break bud break was 1st of April the end of uh, March and 1st of April Uh, Murphy Good Winery Murphy Good Winery is the one that offers the unbelievable best job in the whole wide world job and you're saying, what? What are you talking about? Well, if you remember last year, we talked about the uh, job where you can work at the winery for a year and get an unbelievable salary. They got it back this year. Let me read you this first paragraph. Do you remember last year's viral, I, a really good job and Murphy Good, G-O-O-D-E, that's how it's spelled. Very good job campaign from Sonoma Winery, Murphy Good. It garnered more than 7,200 applications and offered the candidates not one but two people their dream wine jobs. It was so good that Murphy Good, pioneers of serious wine and serious fun, is launching the job search again to offer the ultimate dream job in wine country. Applications are being accepted now through June 20th, uh, June 30th, 2022. The job comes with major perks, a foot in the door in the wine industry, a $10,000 per month salary, vineyard front living rent-free for a year in the charming town of Hillsburg, one of Sonoma's premier destinations, and a year's supply of Murphy good wine. Wouldn't that be great? Two girls won it last year. Uh, They were, uh, one was 23, another one was 21, I think, or something like that. They were young. They were both under 25. But they won it last year, and they had been, both of them, if I remember correctly, have done some wine work before, been doing something. I can't remember what it was, but they both had done some wine work before. So this is available again this year. Uh, Murphy Good. You can uh, go online uh, to www.murphy, M-U-R-P-H-Y, good, G-O-O-D-E, winery.com slash a dash really dash good with an E dash job and apply and do it before June the 30th and the roll actually starts on September 22 and runs through August 23 so a few just a few things you got to be 21 years old or older you got to be a legal resident of the United States, and you have to be authorized to work in the United States. So you can, you know, 
be here as a legal resident, but you do have to be able to work here in the United States. You know, I, I don't know all the rules, but you know both of those have to apply. And Murphy Good is in Sonoma County, uh, so that's on the coast of California. That would be what wouldn't that be a great? And they say once you've finished your year there, uh, Murphy Good sometimes offers you a job or just about every winery in Napa and Sonoma will have an opening for you if you want to transfer to another winery or get a job at another winery because once a year of training there pretty much opens a job for you at just about everywhere else you'd want to go. So that's, that is available. So if you want to do that, then I don't know. It's uh Let's see, what does it say here? Oh, here it is. To be considered for a really good job with Murphy Good, upload your video on the official campaign website. That's what I just, that website there. So you need to make a video of why you would be good for the job and all that, and then upload it on there, and they, they go from there. All right. Good. I'm glad to see them doing that. They usually don't do that every year. That's unusual that they... Uh, uh, they have to come back and do it again. So, good. It's a it's a cool thing, a cool job. Uh, let's see, what is uh, Rambauer Vineyards has acquired three other vineyards, uh, which puts their total vineyards up to 154 acres. Uh, They've acquired the California Appalachians, Canaris, Sonoma, Sonoma Valley, and Fiddletown. The reason I say that because I get an email from Rambar. I, I think we talked to someone from Rambar, if I'm not mistaken. I, I can't can't remember right offhand, but I think we talked to someone from Rambar. Uh, but they are expanding. They are getting more... Uh, French Vineyards uh, Frost. Let's see, what is this again? I don't know if it's a date on this one. Uh, oh, no, this is back then. All right, this is just a follow-up on the same, what I just told you. So it's nothing, nothing new. This is just another magazine that's given it. Um, they said the frost damage is linked to climate change. Uh, they don't say global warming anymore because it's affects in, in lots of ways besides just warming, so it's climate change. Northern Italy is suffering through 100 days of drought, and actually it's longer than that now. This is the date of this, so it's about 120 days of drought. Uh, they haven't had rains there. Uh, California is looking at having the same type of problem this next year, too, with no rains. It's California's having a serious problem with lack of water. They did get some snows, but they're saying it's just barely going to affect it. So it's going to be something that they're going to have to be well aware of throughout uh, the next year or maybe many years to come. The wildfires that destroyed Napa wineries uh, are really having a heck of a time trying to rebuild. Uh, the uh, Atlas Fire, 2017 Atlas Fire, uh, destroyed Roy Estate, and he just completed the construction on his new home and winery. And let's see, the others, uh, yeah, it just went through and burned them to the ground. I just looked at a picture here. Uh, uh, Signorello Estate has not received final payments, so they can rebuild. They've been waiting. Uh, what is another one? Uh, oh. Let's see. Uh, well, I don't know. It's not listing them. I thought the thing would listen, which it should. Uh, Sherman Family Vineyards Winery. That's another one that's rebuilding. And Paradise Ridge Winery. 
all these are trying to rebuild, but they're they're having problems of insurance and monies and uh, all sorts of stuff. They've got temporary things. So let's see, there's another one here. Roy Estate is another one. And uh, Roy Estate, okay. And uh, so they are having problems getting monies in. They're having problems getting insurance to sell it. Government said they were going to help with uh, some stuff. They're having problems with that also. So it's become a nightmare for them. This is from the fire back in 2017. Uh, you, you know, <laughs> to the map, it's five years ago, and they're still in the middle of trying to get these things rebuilt and trying to get them going and trying to get them paid off and all that. Some of them are, it, some of them are almost, you know, they're, they're they're getting it done. Others are a little bit slower than that, but uh, it's a long, hard road, and uh, they, you know, they said that. You know, the updates of the state mandated construction standards and with things like the Americans with Disabilities Act and fire protection and road improvement and septic tanks and all these things is causing a nightmare at some of these wineries. Uh, if you had the old everything, you were grandfathered in. You tear it down and rebuild it, and you're not. You have to comply with uh, current standards and it's becoming much much more expensive and so insurance doesn't cover we all know how insurance works it, it doesn't cover you complete the rebuilding because of different hidden costs in there and the wineries are scrambling trying to get things done because a lot of them still have their vineyards and they can still harvest and they're still doing stuff for the last five years but they just don't have their home to sell it from and all that. So it is a battle as now this is just the one here. This is from the 2017 fire and we've had other fires since then and other wineries that have been damaged. So we are, we can probably figure what's going on with a lot of the others too. So that's what's happening in them oh boy i just clicked on another picture here the fires damage him uh, let's see if there's anything on this one and we can close out uh, uh, yeah wine industry wants one single standard for sustainability which is a good idea considering that you have different standards throughout the country for different areas. and But the thing is, it you can't make it standardized throughout the country because some areas have a lot more water than others. Some areas allow herbicides more use than others. And, yeah, it's just a lot of, a lot of hassle there. But places like France and Austria uh, are, have reduced herbicide by 80%. Uh, Spain by 74%. And, you know, biodiversity, United States is leading the way in that. 78% uh, of the biodiversity in growing. Uh, the head of France is 72%. But there's lots of other areas that you have a hard time getting everything under one roof because there are so many different problems, so many different areas. And even within a state, it is hard to do that. So, uh, But they're saying we need something. We need some sort of guidelines so that we can really look at it and say, okay, you know, what's what's this going to do for us? Uh, uh, what What is the sustainability factor that we need to consider doing this and that and vineyards and spraying and all this other stuff. And we don't really have anything that's addressed in this country. The TTB is about the only thing, but it doesn't fully address sustainability. So it is something that I'm sure that TTB will be taking up pretty soon. So. All right. 
we are, I believe, done for tonight. We have a guest next week. Uh, like I told you at the beginning of the show, Bradley will be with us next week from Tasting Club. And we'll see when we can finish our interview with Adam. And we've got also some other wineries in uh, England that we will be getting on the show too. We've got some others we'll be interviewing there that are coming up. So, like I said at the beginning of the show, we've got lots of lots of people to talk to and uh, some information that will be passed on to us, some, some interesting shows coming up. And Cap even asked me last time we talked, when can I come on the show, Ron? I said, anytime you want. So, we may get him on for a talk for a while someday. We'll, we'll see what he's up to and get him talking to us. So that's it for another week. Sounds good. It's uh, 8.06 p.m., and we will be back uh, May the 12th, as he said, with a uh, live guest. So uh, be sure to join us if you can live. That would be uh, great on uh, May the 12th, 7 p.m. Eastern Time right here on uh, blog talk radio forward slash all about wine or on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. You can uh, check them out live there and, uh, or recorded uh, on the other channels that we're on that we don't even know about yet. No, we don't. <laughs> Where we are, <laughs> but we're out there. <laughs> we're out there. <laughs> a lot of places we don't know. Nope. Um, thank you all for tuning in and uh, have a great uh, rest of the weekend or rest a great weekend and a great week ahead and uh, take care be safe and uh, we'll see you next Thursday. Thanks again. Thanks for listening. Be safe. This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine with your host, Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on the show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archived shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine. Close out the windows. Oh, oh, green room. <laughs>